In this episode of the Garrett Dickerson Podcast, we'll conclude our conversation on letting go and letting God by letting go of doubts we have and letting God fulfill his promises to us. We'll examine the story of Gideon and see that God is calling us to a fuller life now and with him forever. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Garrett Dickerson Podcast, and I am Garrett Dickerson. I would welcome the chance to connect with you and to hear your story on how this episode has impacted you. You can find the podcast on Facebook by searching for my name or by searching hashtag pray with me Monday. You can also follow me on Instagram at real Garrett Dickerson. This episode is the capstone to the Let Go, Let God series of the podcast. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the first and second episode of this series, I would encourage you to do that. But just in case you haven't, I'll share with you quickly what has led us to where we are now in this episode. Have you ever wondered what God's plan for you is? What's your purpose? Ultimately, God's plan is to save us, to bring people back to him out of a broken world, to redeem us. And our purpose really encompasses three things, to love God, love people, and to bring others to loving God and loving people. To be able to begin seeing the full redemptive story that God has for his people and what part we are supposed to play in it, we have to let go of some things and let God work in us. It's definitely not something God is going to force upon us. We see that in the examples of the rich young ruler and Moses that we looked at in the first and second episodes of the Let Go, Let God series. In our series, we've looked at someone who was asked to do something and they chose not to do it. We looked at someone who was asked to do something and it took a lot of convincing. Moses, when he was first approached by God, as we learned, did not want to go back to Egypt. And today we'll look at someone that doubted where he was and his ability to be used by God. In letting go of our kingdoms, we learned until we are ready to quit depending on the kingdom we have built and ready to be helpless, fully dependent children the things we do will just be a checklist. Boxes we mark that we use to support the illusion that we've got this life all figured out. The pride in the past was the kingdom the rich young ruler had built. But we all have our own kingdoms. I do, certainly. We asked in that episode, what is the thing that you think defines you that is actually holding you back from being completely helpless and dependent on God. And that maybe starting today, he's asking you to admit that you are missing out on a blessing and a life to the full because you won't give up that little thing, that insignificant thing that you think means everything, that you think defines who you are. In the second episode where we looked at Moses and letting go of our excuses, our excuses are the first thing that keeps us 
from fully participating, not in our own kingdom, but in the kingdom of God. We resist being a part of God's plan because we feel we aren't significant enough to be used in that plan. We believe the lie that we don't have the talent or aren't equipped to do what God is asking us individually to do. So much so, as we saw with Moses, we flat out refuse. We put our foot down with God and say, no, pick somebody else. But here's what we learned with Moses. We all have what we need to do in what God is asking us to do. It may be something we believe is ordinary or commonplace, but if we allow ourselves to be transformed, God can use the thing you've always had that you think is meaningless, insignificant. But if you were to commit it, to turn it over to God, it would be the sign to the entire world that you are a part of his plan. We just have to choose to be a part of it. Today, in this episode, we're going to look at doubt. Doubt is what causes us to be short-sighted with our part in that plan. I told a story in the first episode about Garen, one of my sons, and how he likes to be held. And when he was really young, he would look up to me and say, hold you, hold you, daddy. Well, in this episode, I'm going to tell another story about one of my sons, William, and how he likes to be held. And when he was young, he started doing this thing where he thought it was really funny to be held upside down. And he would go into our kitchen and when we would get ready for bedtime, he'd run into the kitchen. Why he ran there, I don't really know, but he would run to the kitchen and he would say, carry me to bed, carry me upside down. And he loved when I would pick him up and turn him over and I would hold on to him tight and I would carry him upside down to his bedroom and he would laugh and he would say, I'm walking on the ceiling. He never once, when I did that, doubted that I would hold him tightly or to hold him fully, even though he was in a very vulnerable position. He had no reason to doubt that I was going to get him to where he needed to be. We're going to spend a lot of our time in this episode in Judges chapter 6. It's a story in the Old Testament about Gideon. And I think to really appreciate this story, we need to understand some background some background of the people of Israel, the Israelites, God's people. And the Israelites, unfortunately, as we see throughout the Old Testament, were in a pattern. They were in a pattern of obeying God, falling away by disobeying him, and God would essentially let another people take them over. And then they would turn back to God. And things went well when they were leaning into God's commands and leaning into him as their God. And so that really picks us up with one of these patterns in Judges chapter 6, where the Israelites have fallen away. They've disobeyed God, and now God has allowed the Midianites, another people, to really take them over. And the Israelites are having to, to hide 
in fear because of what the Midianites are doing to them. And so I'm going to pick up in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read for us verses 11 through 27. So this is in the Old Testament, in your Bible, in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 27. And this is where we are introduced to our key character, Gideon. So verse 11 starts, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So why have I chosen this story? There are parts that feel kind of odd, and if we don't really truly appreciate some of the history and the background, things like preparing an offering or building an altar may not make a lot of sense to us, but that's okay. I, I still think there's a lot that we can learn from this story. So why did I choose this story? This story of Gideon. 
Well, I chose it because, frankly, there are a lot of parallels to the story of Moses. First, there's a parallel between the focal point of the burning bush in the story of Moses and the meaning of Gideon's father, Joash's name, which meant the fire of Yahweh. There was also this parallel between the burning of the offering and the burning of the bush. And then, do we remember what Moses did for a living after he fled Egypt? Do we remember who Jethro was? That's right. I hope when I mentioned the name Midianites that that sparked some memory for you because Moses was living in Midian when he fled Egypt and married a Midianite. Midianites have a long history with the Israelites. Midian was one of the seven children that was born to Abraham and Keturah many, many, many years before this that were sent away so that Isaac would be the uncontested heir of Abraham. And it was Midianite traders that bought Joseph from his brothers and took him to Egypt, which is why the Israelites were ultimately in Egypt in the first place, in which Moses fled and then turned around because God sent him back to free them from the Egyptians. And in Numbers 31, another book of the Bible, in that chapter, chapter 31, Israel actually goes to war. The nation of Israel, the Israelites, actually go to war with Midian and kills its five kings and all the Midianite males. But it appears that a remnant of the Midianites survived and rebuilt, and God delivers the Israelites into their power to be oppressed, which is what gets us to Judges chapter 6. So there's this history of the Midianites that directly connect Gideon and Moses. Another parallel is that both Moses and Gideon are going about their day-to-day. Moses was working. Gideon is taking care of his family by preparing food. They both doubted their own abilities. Moses gave multiple excuses to say, God, you've got the wrong guy. I don't have the talent that you think that I do. Gideon comes out and says, not only is my family the least in our tribe, but I am the least important in my household. Both Gideon and Moses ask for signs. They both have a staff as a critical focal point in their stories. Neither Gideon nor Moses were who should have been expected to be deliverers, but both were being called to that. And then both had what they needed right in front of them. God tells both of them, you have what you need, and don't doubt, it's me that's sending you, that's telling you to do this. And in fact, a common theme through our three lessons, our three episodes, is that God was going to act through what the rich young ruler Moses and Gideon already had. We don't know what Jesus was going to do with the things the young man was going to sell or was asked to sell in the story of the rich young ruler, but God used the staff that Moses already had and the bulls that Gideon had to tear down the altar of Baal. Clearly, there are similarities between Moses and Gideon in that their stories 
are intertwined. So what are the things that we can learn? What are the things that we can take away from this introduction to Gideon that might be critical points in each of our faith walks? What are the lessons we can learn from Gideon as he decided to take or not take part in how God planned to work through him? The first lesson is in Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. In that verse, Gideon raises a timeless question. He doubts the power and the providence of God by asking, where are you? All of these bad things are happening. If you are who you say you are, then why are you letting this happen? How many times do we ask, why do bad things happen to good people? But there are times in our life where there are consequences. When we don't act within God's will, And as we said last episode, God has a plan, but because imperfect people with free will are being used in his plan, it may not go exactly the way he wants it to go the first time or every time. But he tells us, God tells us and assures us that all things will work together for good for those that love him. And he allowed the oppression so that he might get the attention of the Israelites, just like the burning bush got the attention of Moses. And to give Gideon the opportunity to be the leader God knew he could be. The second lesson that I think we see is found in Judges 6 and verse 17. Gideon asks for a sign to be sure that he was acting in the will, in the purpose of God. But here's the difference between Moses and Gideon. The purpose of Moses' excuses, I think, were to get out of what God was asking him to do. God knew he had to give signs to Moses just to convince him to go. Gideon, I think, asks for signs that he can be sure that he understands and is about to fully act in the way God wants him to. Do you ever ask for signs from God? Is it okay if we do? Does this show a lack of faith? And I think what we see from the story of Gideon is that it's okay to ask. To ask, God, show me what you're wanting me to do. And I don't think if we do that, that it's a lack of faith. The third lesson is in Judges chapter 6 and verse 22. In this verse, Gideon perceived that he actually was looking at the angel of the Lord, that he was talking and interacting with the angel of God. The lesson here is, how often do we have God trying to get our attention? Right in front of us, and we still doubt that it's him. One of my favorite parts of this story, one of the things that that I take away as I think on those three lessons, is in verse 15. When Gideon says in verse 15 that his clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and he is the least in his father's house, he isn't making an excuse. He's speaking to his reality regarding a history 
and a mentality that is a part of the culture of his tribe for generations. I want to go back and I want to recall a story from Genesis, another book in the Old Testament. In chapter 48 in that book, we see Manasseh, the firstborn son of Joseph, who is part Hebrew and part Egyptian. So immediately, the tribe of Manasseh aren't viewed by the other tribes of Israel as true Israelites because they're part Israelite and part Egyptian. Not only that, but in Genesis chapter 48, we see that even though Manasseh was the firstborn, his younger son Ephraim is actually blessed in that chapter as the stronger and with greater potential. But the history of the tribe of Manasseh doesn't end there. We actually see another story that involves the tribe of Manasseh in Numbers chapter 32. After the Israelites, we've talked a lot about how they were in Egypt, and Moses went back to free them, and ultimately he does. The Israelites leave Egypt, and Moses leads them to a place where they are going to go into the promised land. Not to cut too much of that story out, but to kind of cut to the chase. As they were getting ready to go over, some of the tribes of the Israelites said, we're, we're going to go across the Jordan River into the land that God has promised us. And then there were other tribes that said, no, we're okay right here. I don't think we really want to take the risk. We don't want to cross over into the land that God is telling us is ours. We're just going to stay here. This is okay for us. Those tribes were the tribes Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. They were willing to settle with what they had. They doubted that what else was promised was any better than what they had in front of them. They weren't willing to take that additional step to fully receive the full promise of God, of what God had planned and had in store. I don't think it was that Gideon's tribe, Manasseh, was unfaithful. It was that they doubted that they doubted the true power and promise of what was going to be given to them if they simply acted. When we looked in the first episode at the kingdom of the rich young ruler, his kingdom was his pride, specifically pride in the past of everything that he had built. I think Gideon's kingdom, to some degree, of the walls that God is trying to help him tear down is and complacency. The history of Manasseh was settling. They were used to being told that they weren't worth anything from the very beginnings of their history in Genesis chapter 48, that they were never going to be more than what they were. So when they get told they have to be or have something better for themselves, they're uncomfortable with it. They push back and say, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I think, I'm, I think I'm good right here. I don't think it could really be much better over there across the river. So why don't we just, let's just stay here. It's the safety of the known that wins over the risk 
of the unknown for the tribe of Manasseh and the history of Gideon's family. That was Gideon's kingdom. That's what he was used to. That was the tradition that he was a part of, being satisfied with what can clearly be seen right in front of you. And I think the lesson we learn from Gideon is to let go of your doubts and let God fulfill the promises he has made to you. Manasseh was the least of the tribes. Gideon's clan was the weakest in Manasseh, and Gideon was the least in his father's house. But God decides that is who is going to be used to deliver Israel once again. We can't approach the kingdom when we doubt our circumstances, when we doubt who we can be because of who we have been or what we've been told we were in the past. We have to be fully dependent like little children on God. We may not measure up by worldly standards. Gideon didn't think that he did, that he was the least in his family. But God wants to use the least, the dependent, the people that have to be fully in his arms because that's where it will fully show that he, that God is the one working through them. And that is the only possible explanation. There can be no other reason as to why what is happening is happening, that it is God and nothing or no one else. The themes of these three stories are God wants to deliver his people and he wants us, his people, to choose to be a part of his plan. Gideon thought he was doing the right thing. He was going about his day-to-day. He was taking care of his responsibilities. He was meeting the status quo. He was laying low, not causing any ripples. But God needed more. He expected more from him to fulfill all that he could be. Is God asking more of you? You may be saying, I'm already obeying. I'm already doing this and this and this. What more can I do? What else does God really expect from me? I'm a good person. I treat people well. What could God really be needing from me any more than what I'm already doing? Could it really be any better than how I have it now? When you feel you're already doing what God has asked you to do, but God asks you to do a new thing, move past your doubts. And be willing to step outside the safety of the kingdom you've built and let God fulfill his promises to you. Be willing to act when God gives us direction. Find opportunities to listen, accept, and believe. Let go of doubt. Let go of excuses. Let go of your kingdoms. And don't just settle with where you are, but let God fulfill his promises in you. Be a part of his plan. And if you do nothing else today, love God and love people.